This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Claire Rattanon is a gardener, a writer, and a passionate advocate for the growing of food no matter where you live or how small a space you might live in. She herself first fell in love with growing her own food while living in a one-room flat. The author of How to Grow Your Dinner Without Leaving the House, Claire joined me from her home in East Sussex, England, to share this conversation. I am so pleased to be speaking with you. Welcome, Claire. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So, you know, you are a writer, you are an influencer, you are a grower, you are a passionate gardener, all of which I love, and your energy comes across in in all of what you do, teaching and writing, uh, especially in your book, How to Grow Your Dinner Without Leaving the House, a title that might rank up there with one of my favorite book titles ever. Um, <laughs> if, if I were to ask you to tell us your own personal not work-related necessarily, but personal mission statement for your own gardening life. What would that mission statement be, Claire? Well, my own personal mission statement for, for how I garden and grow. That's a really good question. I think I'm really passionate about growing food. It's it's actually the only thing I'm truly interested in growing. If it's not edible, it's it's not going to capture my imagination. And and most of my most of my work is oriented around growing food for other people to eat, veg boxes and and restaurants and you know. But I also really love encouraging people to grow their own food. You know, whatever they can and wherever they can. And I've taught in schools and community centres and given workshops. And and I think everything that I I do and every all the things that I grow is is to encourage other people to do the same because I came to this work really quite late in my life you know that my professionally I changed in my my early 30s and and it's been nothing short of transformative and I really believe it holds that potential for other people too and for anybody who even has a glimmer of interest I I I want to present it up as an a possibility for them. I love that. What, um, but I'm going to drill down just a little bit deeper. What is at the heart of why edible gardening captures your imagination? What is it about growing plants that you then eat that um, nourishes you intellectually and spiritually as well? I think for me personally, food is is very much at the core of of um, of identity and family and heritage and connection and and even before I came to growing food, you know, I, I'm I'm so I, I I love to eat and I love to cook and food has has been the kind of nexus around which my identity is formed and the way in which I feel part of my my family and my community and my my ancestry and you know. It, it, eating food and cooking food and sharing food and, and doing that with loved ones is it's the you know the anchor of, of our days it's the anchor of our, our celebrations and, and for me that's always been really profound it's how I express love it's it's how I yeah how how I com- communicate my my affection and and my 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 desire to nurture mm. to to the people who who I love and and come into contact with and and so I think when I discovered um a love for plants albeit quite late it, it growing edible plants felt like an extension of that gesture and and so you know it, I think it, it felt quite um like oh, it's so, it's like I was going to say organic, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> but you know, it's true. It's, yeah, it's true. 
it, it felt like a, a completely natural and, and understandable extension of of this kind of loving relationship that that is translated and 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 communicated through through the food that we eat and the way that we cook for each other and the way that we we nurture each other through food and so I think it was it was a very a very natural evolution that when I came to plants that 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 was the the gateway through which I, I did it yeah I love that articulation of uh, food and then the food we grow to eat being um, part and parcel of our identities at some mm. level. I think that is uh, very, very true in my life. And I think that is universal, which is why food is one way that people show uh, love beyond basic survival you know, mm. purposes. So Take us back a little bit, Claire. Who were the people and places and plants that grew you into a woman, not only for whom growing your own food would be a, an expression of love and identity, but also for a woman who actually would recognize this about herself? So I came to to, to growing quite late, actually. I, I, I had a, a whole career before of working in, in television and, and documentary production before I, I discovered food growing while I was living in New York and came across this beautiful rooftop farm in um, Long Island City called Brooklyn Grange. And, and it was the most most I'm sure you you probably know the place actually yes. but it's yeah. such a oh, it was such a transformative experience to even just that that one day go up the lift and and step out into this this sort of beautiful pastoral landscape in the middle of in the middle of the city and and I was so moved by by that so moved by that kind of the implausibility of it I suppose <laughs> that um that I came back sort of week after week and and volunteered there and became sort of more involved in their work and part of their community and and it was there that I I sort of tapped into a sense of meaning that I realized had been absent from my working life up until that point you know I really I did really I loved working in production in many ways but but I think I was always looking for something that felt more um that was more visceral honestly that that, that felt like the impact was was more tangible and and working working with plants and working with the, the soil it, it held that for me and I, it was sort of there where that that interest and my intrigue was kind of born and and that's what brought me back to to England and I, I moved back in order to in order to be closer to my family but also in order to explore the possibility of of working in this field and 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 you know retraining and 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 looking at kind of horticulture and agriculture as a possible possible actual professional mm. uh, path for myself and um and and when I think back to sort of how, what it is that 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 hooked me initially I was I was very much enamored with with the kind of the taste and the the beauty of the produce and and just the the variety and the range that was available when you weren't sort of subjected to what the supermarkets were willing to buy you know I was I was very much captured by that at first but what has sort of transpired over the years is is a much more a much more meaningful and much more kind of um, heart-centered impetus to grow that is 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 a lot about kind of reclaiming a, a space in 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 this work in this na- in the natural world and and I'm feeling connected to nature in a way that I didn't that wasn't available to me growing up you know it wasn't it wasn't something that um 
that was part of my my younger years and and so as a consequence it wasn't something that ever occurred to me that I could be that I could do professionally or that I would ever be interested in honestly you know we my, my parents moved from Mauritius to to a, a sort of town in the suburbs and and I had a sort of fairly banal <laughs> suburban right. upbringing yeah. and and you know to be the child of immigrants is is to have a very um a very distinct kind of route that's available to you it's not to say that that there aren't it isn't possible for us to kind of you know uh forge a different trajectory but but you know there's a very distinct um story of the sacrifice that your parents make in order to to create the possibility of of a good life for you and what you're supposed to do with that as the child of an immigrant and you know and and so I I definitely felt that I I I the the, the kind of humble work the kind of work that muddies our hands and knees and 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 arguably harks back to our ancestry as Mauritius is the is an island of of you know conjured of slavery and indentureship that, that that's that's not something that that would ever have occurred to anyone to to have suggested I, I might be interested in and so it was a totally that was a totally opaque to me totally unavailable to me growing up you know it was not something that I ever thought to do I was very bookish and that was really encouraged and and then you know I ended up in a profession that that made my family proud and and so that was that was the objective for a time. And I just feel now, looking back, I was very fortunate to have had this sort of chance encounter with a with Brooklyn Grange because it really changed that trajectory for me, and it really opened up the possibility that there were there were things that I hadn't even thought about that uh, that I could push myself towards that were that were missing. Honestly, like yeah, I genuinely yeah. believe that there was there was um, a, a heartache there for something that that I, I I couldn't have named then and I'm still you know working on figuring out how to name now you know it's it's but but I know that that my work with plants and my work with the earth is what has allowed me to step towards sort of weaving together some of those disconnected parts some of those things that have that we have you know through migrations and displacements and you know the the things that that create the diasporic communities around the world that that those disconnects you know can be woven back together again and and for me it has been through the work of working with plants that yeah oh it's just no I'm just I'm pausing (laughs) because that heartache that you speak of is something that I hear over and over and over again in people of all ages Claire and Mm. and you are um you know young as in in these terms but uh but that heartache which you know, has been caused by dislocation and disassociation and disconnection, Mm -hmm. you know, caused by things as horrific as enslavement and erasure and land loss. But, But also for people that haven't experienced that exact set of circumstances or ancestry, you know, it has been created by capitalism and the idea that success is uh, bound up with dollar signs and material objects as opposed to this uh, life connection. And to hear, you know, over the course of the work that I do, so many people hungry 
to talk about and learn about and engage with our world differently um, is both really painful and really heartening at the same time. Because, you know, I think if 2020 taught our world anything, it's that change is possible and people like you and the work that's already out in the world has allowed this moment to land on fertile soil for that change to take uh, take root it, to, to go on with that metaphor. And that reweaving and re-identifying with what is um, meaningful in our world, I think, is some of the most valuable work we, we are doing right now. So tell me a little bit about your documentary film work and what took you to Brooklyn Grange that day. Oh, it's so funny. Not many people ask me about the film work. And it feels like another lifetime, you know. It feels like another person mm-hmm. sometimes when I think about the work I did before I came to plants. It's So, I, you know, I, I was I was darting around doing various things, as you do when you're freelance. And, and, and um, yeah, I was working as a, a producer at the time and uh, working on a film about uh, two veterans who were, who were walking across the country in order to sort of deal with their post-traumatic stress and in the in the process we're, we're learning to meditate in order to heal and um it was an amazing it was an amazing opportunity and it was an, a really great project I'm so I'm so proud of the work I did on it but it's funny to think back to that year that was it was such an enormous project but that was the year where I um where I actually took a step back from filmmaking in order to to spend more time on at Brooklyn Grange and and actually when I when I found my way to Brooklyn Grange it was purely by chance I was looking for a flea market with my friend <laughs> <laughs> it was it was nothing like I didn't you know I wasn't searching for it not even a bit I didn't know it was there and um and we were looking for this flea market and and we were just sort of walking around and and on it was off off a really busy road and we were just like this place doesn't exist what's going on and um, and then there was just um, a sign that says, you know, come come up to visit our rooftop farm. Lucky for us, it was a Saturday that we were doing that walk, and that's when they were open for their CSA members and for people to come by and, and have a look at what they're doing. And and so that was that was really that. Honestly, it was no more no more profound other than maybe a belief that I was called there. <laughs> but yeah, and and so that's how I found myself uh, at Brooklyn Grange. So. Well, I often, I ask the question in many ways because I I love parsing out these ways in which uh, the universe calls us to this work and that I, I really have this strong belief that if we are meant to be gardeners, the garden will find us one way or the other, um, no matter how long it takes. I deeply agree with that. I, there is no, there's no way that this happened by chance, even <laughs> right. though my encounter was a chance encounter. And I, and I think about that quite a lot, actually, honestly. And I, I cause I wonder who I would be yeah. if I hadn't have found my way back to the earth. Like, you know, how, how would I have spent these last years? And, you know, I, I, I came to this work at a time when I was, I was heart sick and I was in therapy and, you know, is going to, meditation classes and yoga classes I mean I still do all of that it's not to say that you know I, a heart's healing is a life's work isn't mm, it but yeah. but I went when I was you know I found this place when I was heart sick and I think that I would still have I would still to some extent be in a, a similar place had I not found my way to this work right you know right. I think about it often who I would have been without it but then I also think that for 
I, I found my way there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it, I do believe it would have found me at some point. Yeah. I would have found my way there. I'm absolutely certain of it. And I also find that, you know, one of the things that seems to come out in many people's sort of journey stories to to plants and the garden, that whatever is the work they were doing before also laid some foundational element for them to be ready for it when when they got there. Mm. I kind of like when those things start to confluence in in our lives. But I I think you're absolutely right and I think for me when I look back at um when I look back at the fact that I spent, you know, 8 years in a in an entirely different industry. I I I think that it did it set me up in a in a very different way I suppose and I and I suppose it's because um Although I have I have sort of grown commercially and on a small scale, you know, growing growing in in the city, um, but but you know when you grow in in small spaces, there's there's a very very few jobs that are sustaining that you would only be working in one place, mm-hmm. and so you know I've I've had to kind of piece together my career in many ways. You know, it's 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 never it's not been that I've ever spent you know a number of seasons or even just one season in one workplace and been able to sustain myself yep. from that. And that's why I've, I've, you know, my, my, my portfolio is portfolio for want of a better word, but my portfolio is, uh, is so varied, mm-hmm. you know, I write and I speak and I occasionally do pieces for the radio and now I have a book and, and, you know, all, all of this has been because I've been able to use some of the skills that I cultivated before I got to this work in order to create a, a kind of Frankenstein <laughs> career for myself, <laughs> but always orbiting around plants. <laughs> okay, I'm going to I'm going to push back on that word because <laughs> I think this is one of the great lessons, Claire, of the garden is yes. that if we have a monoculture in the garden, we are doomed. Oh, yes. But if absolutely. we, right, if we have this biodiversity of of plants and organisms and ecosystems and lives there that is very similar to what I see many growers uh, how they have set up their lives is this these many facets that make the whole work so that true. it is and, and I I really do believe in that and it's not the model we were sold as children that was the right way to create you know like quote unquote right way to create a a successful, again, quote unquote, successful Mm. career. Um, But it is a very healthy life. Um, And it's varied and it's interesting and it's dynamic and it has some redundancy so that if one part doesn't work out right now, the other part holds it up. And, And that to me is a perfect garden. That's absolutely true. Maybe I shouldn't call it a Frankenstein. I should have called it a polyculture, <clears throat> shouldn't I? <laughs> there you go. That's what we want, right there. Right. Um, and you're yes. absolutely right. And 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 I, you know, in, in some ways, it can be. It, it's quite. A, it's quite a challenge because you know oh, there, were, there were times when I did. Uh, you know, I'd have a production job, and 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 I'd be at the same office, or I'd be doing at least working on the same project every weekday. You know, it's reasonably normal hours, and so it was. It was a much more you know linear career, and and. This this one asks so much more of me. It asks me to be nimble and adaptable yep. and to be paying attention and to, yes. you know, and, and it's so much more, it, it, it's, it's, it, you're absolutely right. It's totally a reflection of what the garden asks of us or what the, you know, what, the, what a farm asks of us is it asks us to be, to, to be awake and to be aware and to be connected and to be, yeah, to be able to, to roll with the punches, honestly. 
This is Cultivating Place. Born in Mauritius and raised in England, Claire Rattanon is a gardener, a writer, and a passionate advocate for growing your own organic food no matter where you live or how small a space you might have. We'll be right back with her garden journey story. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. So I really like this idea of our identities being tied up in the plants we grow, their histories and our histories with them. It seems hopeful and helpful to have our identities intertwined with living creatures and ongoing processes. And I really like Claire's semi-gratitude prayer. Quote, I am so grateful for all the beings that uphold me, for the people who pick our food and process the wheat and the corn and all of the things we rely on every day. End quote. We are indeed upheld by so much that is invisible, implausible, and quite frankly, miraculous. The indefatigable functioning of so many beings in so many interconnections. Let me count the ways. We're back now to our conversation here on Cultivating Place with Claire Rattanon, a gardener, writer, and passionate advocate for growing your own organic food. As we come back, Claire describes the genesis of her belief in and advocacy for small space urban edible gardens, which ultimately became the theme of her first book, How to Grow Your Dinner Without Leaving the House, published in 2020 by Lawrence King Press. Claire then takes us on an illuminating exploration of the many troubles with the concept of self-sufficiency. I think the reason why I'm so passionate about encouraging people to grow wherever they can and however they can is because that's how I came to this work. That's how that's what my journey has looked like. Um, when I came back to London, uh, moving back from New York, I, I moved into a flat that had no outside space whatsoever. It was very bright and sunny, but there was not even a, a wide enough windowsill for a for a window box. And um, and so my entire growing career has been desperately trying to find spaces that will allow me to grow and finding enough sunshine for my plants and um and it's been in you know community gardens and market gardens and you know wherever I could possibly um kind of elbow my way in I've grown in school gardens and and on in in the that garden of my friend's cafe you know I was I was <laughs> hungrily trying to find little spaces little pockets of sunshine right. for me to grow in and and I I just I, you know, I, lucky for me, I, I, I had really, I, I was in a position to be able to pursue this with that hunger. But, you know, what if somebody was in a position where they they had a little sunny spot in, in, in their home, but it was paved over or it was rented or it was temporary, you know, and, and they maybe not see the potential in that garden as somewhere that they could possibly grow something, especially grow something to eat, which is my passion, you know. And, and yeah. so I wondered what what would somebody want what kind of guidance would somebody want if they had that same desire to grow and um but didn't necessarily have the opportunity that I did to go and you know retrain in horticulture and 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 then go and, and grow in market gardens in, in London and 
and so when I'm when uh I was approached about this book and and I have to confess that it was not me who came up with the wonderful title <laughs> the title <laughs> pre-existed by me attaching myself to this project but um lucky me it's a great title isn't it? it's so fun and um but when when this idea was presented to me I said you know that the thing I really think I think that what's missing is is a really kind of back to basics guide of how to grow in containers, to grow edible plants in containers. And I said, because I think that's that's what would make grow, growing edible plants actually accessible. You know, it's it's actually a total privilege to have um, access to soil, to earth, to the, you know, to the ground, and especially if you're growing in 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 the city or in small spaces, and. Um, or, 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 you know, if, if where you're living is temporary, growing in containers is, is, is a much more accessible yeah. option. You know, what if you can't bend down? Yeah, and portable. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, I, yeah, and, and one of the, um, one of the things that, that, that I that I'm, was was in a position to be kind of thinking about in different scenarios I was growing was, was accessibility as well. You know, if, 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 for, for, for people who have maybe back problems or knee problems or any other kind of accessibility um, needs, a, a pot can be moved in a way that a plant in the ground can't. And like, you know, and, and I'm somebody who feels really passionately about soil. I was trained to grow organically and it is particularly here in England, you know, that's the, the, the whole focus is the soil and nurturing the soil. And that is, that is one of my passions. But if you don't have soil, then what, you know, and that's, that's what I think, um, that's 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 where the inspiration for the book came from. So when 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 I was approached to 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 write it, I said I, this is what I really want the focus to be because I think that's what people really need. You know, I think that's what will be. It, it is such a great gateway as well to to learning the principles of of growing edible plants, and and so so much of what's in that book can be used to grow in the ground but I but you know what I wanted was something that was really universally accessible no matter what what kind of garden you had and that that you could then look at your space even if it is just paving stones or gravel and see it as a garden Yes, that's seeing the opportunity. Yeah, I loved, I really loved that emphasis of yours because it does broaden the way Mm. people see potential. And that right there is one of the greatest starting points for getting people to to let go of unrealistic expectations and just try, just start. Absolutely. And like, you know, there are some things that you, you can't compromise on. You do need sunshine. <laughs> like when, when you somebody do asks need me, sunshine for most yeah. edibles. Yes, <laughs> exactly. the amount of times it's like I've got a north-facing basement. What can I grow? And I'm like, well, <laughs> you could maybe grow some micro beans and maybe some mushrooms. You know, and and so it can be, it can right. be a challenge. You know, <laughs> and, and right. despite the the sort of the fun title of the book, you know, you do need. You, you, these plants do need to be outside. They do need to thrive. But that outside can be a hanging basket on your porch. It can be, a, a, mm-hmm. a, you know, three pots on your doorstep. I know that it's it's not going to be, um, you know, it's not going to be lo- life-changing amounts of food. You're not going to have to, you're not going to have enough to be able to stop going to the supermarket. Even if you've got a big garden, I would argue that you still have to go, you know, go to the groceries. You do. Um, yes, most exactly. people do. I, have, I, yes. I do have a, a, a pet peeve about the word self-sufficiency, which we can get to if you want. <laughs> but uh, 
Well, I I think it's great. Let's get to that because I think this is another one of the concepts that hold people back and hobble them from, yeah. So, so talk about that a little bit. Sure. I mean, so so, (laughs) it'll be a little bit of a soapbox rant. I hope you don't mind, but um, I go on it. Yeah. But uh, I mean, there's a number of reasons why I find the the idea even of self-sufficiency so abrasive is um not only is it like deeply unrealistic unless you have an immense amount of privilege and by that I mean land privilege light privilege you have to have great aspect you have to have the time the energy the resources to to be able to sink into growing the kind of volume of produce that would ever be considered self-sufficient. And so there's a huge amount of privilege that goes into the idea that you could, you know, you're, that, that people are often selling when they say this is a guide to self-sufficiency. It's just like unobtainable for so, so many people for so, so many reasons. And then I also think that there's a there's, there's something about that term that is, that I find, um, well, it's an, ultimately it's, an, it's a denial of reality. Yes, right? there's something conceptual about this idea of being self-sufficient that removes us from community and it removes us from one another yes. and it removes us from an understanding of how the natural world upholds us, as though we grow our we grow all this food and there's no one else participating, right. as opposed to all of the creatures and forces and energies that we rely on in order for that food to grow. Mm. And you know, I, I just think that there's there's something actually very like spiritually empty about the mm-hmm. idea of self-sufficiency. It's it's got this kind of rampant individualist, yes. kind of, you know, this kind of rugged, I live in a, I, I want to go and live in a log cabin and <laughs> withdraw from the world. And I'm just like not interested in that at all. I am so thankful to the all the beings that uphold me, all the people who grow my food and you know who who process process the core the, the the wheat and the corn and all the things that we eat and we rely on every day I mean honestly especially if you're living somewhere like England if you were truly self-sufficient if that was actually your objective you would have such a turnip heavy diet in, <laughs> in, in November oh, you'd have no true. friends you'd have no friends no friends it'd be turnips and cabbage and potatoes and swede and you would be bored 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 and you it would be a, a joyless life and I just think that there's something about the the just the energy and the concept of self-sufficiency that is a withdrawal from community that I just have no time for you know well and I yeah it is divorced yeah it is not based on any reality no matter how isolated you are it is Absolutely. um it is a bizarre myth of the industrialized world I think it and is, it and, is and it doesn't it's so rarely do people note the privilege inherent in that mm. uh, in that striving mm. yeah. you know the idea that that was something that you could actually achieve I means it, 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 it you've have so much built-in privilege that 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 i i yeah it, it, i it just I, as you can hear <laughs> i yeah. just find no, it calling i yeah. really do and it's a myth it's, that's it's, time to move past yeah it really is it absolutely is and you know and and it it just it's a denial of re- the reality of the, the the way of the world i mean yep. this last year has shown us that oh. we are deeply interconnected that we rely on a incredible web of of beings and humans in order for us to to 
be fed every day, mm-hmm. to, to have everything that we need. There are people who we finally call essential workers right. who did not stop working throughout this pandemic in order for all of us to have our bellies full. Yep. And, you know, to, to, to come out of this pandemic with aspirations of self-sufficiency, I think is it's insulting, honestly. It's insulting to 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 the people who did, who put themselves in, you know, on the front line in order to to, to uphold us, you yeah. know. And so, yeah, I, I feel really strongly about that because I just think it just it 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 doesn't honestly speak to the truth of what it takes for us to have the food that we Mm-mm. we need yeah. and cover you yeah. know and and I think that's a really amazing important part of what growing food even if it's just a plant on a on a windowsill you know if it's just herbs or a tomato in a hanging basket I think it gives you an appreciation for the for the the conditions that are created in order f- that that people create in order for those plants to thrive how long it takes to reach a harvest how much care and attention it is needed for that plant to thrive and grow and get to the point where it can um, present a yield and present a harvest. That's an important thing for us to learn that the end point is not picking something up off of a shelf. There is so much that has gone into the journey from a seed all the way to the point where we bring it to our dinner plate. And I think that growing your own food, even in one pot on one windowsill is, is what can really be the gateway to understanding that process, a process that we have been pulled away from, a process that we've been divorced from by industrialization. You know, I didn't know how long it took to grow a tomato plant. It's it's an incredible amount of time and and devotion that it has to be in the ground being taken care of in order for it to produce a yield. You know, and that's something that, that growing your own food can actually offer that, you know, this, this understanding of what it truly takes. Well, and it, I, I, I just couldn't agree with you more. I love this, this line of inquiry and engagement because just growing that one plant, whether it's, you know, a pot of parsley or basil, or if you have enough light and a long enough season, that tomato on your porch, <clears throat> it puts us back into that network of dependence and interdependence. And it re-engages us with our own survival in a way that makes it very clear that we cannot be self-sufficient. We are reliant on on everybody and everything that goes into those, those networks and systems. And we have, in many ways, destroyed those systems or the healthy functioning of those systems with that self-sufficiency and divorced mindset. And Mm. this is what I love about your, your book and its enthusiasm and its joy of you can grow this this way and think about your space this way, or you could patch together, you know, this little piece of ground and this little piece of ground and that pot. And, um, I think it's a really important, um, invitation to people who might not have seen gardening potential in in the spaces that they they live in thank you so much yeah it's such a it's such a gift to hear that because I I, that was my hope that was definitely my hope when when putting this book this book together you know and and you know all of the all uh, all the plants in that book I you know I grew it in the way that yeah 
the book tells you to do it. <laughs> like I said, it was like, you know, I started the seeds in my house in a propagator and then it was, you know, shuffling them around from my friend's garden to the garden of my, you know, another friend's cafe and then a different workplace and a different workplace. And these pots were just growing all over the place, wherever I could find a sunny corner for them. Right. That's where they were growing. You know, there's, there's nothing that's, there's nothing that in there that's been performed or, or bought in for the, for, for the for picture. The right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, you know, everything's kind of been grown in this slightly haphazard way. And I, and I look at the plants and I sometimes am like, oh, you, you see in like seed catalogs, these kind of abundant, beautiful, like very, very bushy, gorgeous, specimens you know the absolute ideal and I sometimes look at the plants that I agree for this and I'm like well it's a little straggly but at least it's real <laughs> it's real and honest. it's real right <laughs> this is cultivating place Claire Rattanon is a gardener a writer and a passionate advocate for growing your own organic food no matter where you live or how small a space you might have we'll be right back with Claire stay with us So, thinking out loud this week, Claire's exploration of the concept of self-sufficiency is so gratifying and thought-provoking to me. Self-sufficiency is held up as such an important goal in so many ways in our lives as Americans. But what does that cost? And what is lost? I have not thought about it as an implied insult to the many beings that hold us all up, as an antithesis of community. But of course it is. The concept of self-sufficiency belies and dismisses them, diminishes and erases even the importance and necessity of so many others in our lives. This reframing of an anti-self-sufficiency mindset makes our necessary networks valued and visible. It maybe even asks us to consider what is sufficiency, what is sufficient, what is enough, and what is valuable and invaluable quite differently. And perhaps with the widespread acknowledgement of sufficiency and interdependent sufficiency leads to a more humble and appreciative mindset. As we thread our ways through our garden works and days, completely dependent on one another, communally and collectively. With that, a quick shout out to the very tangible ways that you all uphold me and this work at Cultivating Place. Sharice, Richard, Shannon, Karen, Claire, Monica, Marnie, Tish, Trina, Mary, Vanessa, Kim, and Hugh, thank you for your deeply appreciated and seen recent support. We're back now to our Cultivating Place conversation with Claire Rattanon, gardener, writer, and passionate advocate for growing your own organic food. 
you know, and and I will just sort of summarize for listeners because I'm very aware of our time now that you, you know you do go over all of these basics of what it means to grow yeah. in a pot and deciding what to grow and planning out your your unlikely small patched together spaces, yeah. and you go through greens, lettuces, chilies, so warm season as well as cool season um, mm-hmm. plants and crops. And making the most of small spaces. I mean, you even have plants such as potatoes and um, and mushrooms and microgreens, as you mentioned mm. earlier. But um, and its principles and uh, messages are worth uh, absorbing as well. So, as you think about, you know, this the pulling your life story full full circle and you know your your family from Mauritius and you know their one-time hopes for you and then your your turn in career and i'm guessing they they see your joy and they see your passion and what what is your greatest hope for a story like yours beyond encouraging other people to grow a little bit of their own food um what what maybe would be some of your other ambitions for this heartache in our world? Mm. Oh, that's a beautiful question. And it's a tough question. You know, I think, um, I think that this last year has been a really, um, as heartbreaking as it has been, it has been a really interesting opportunity. And and, and I've had a, a number of interesting opportunities to talk about this work to different audiences, but in a different way, you know, there's, there's conversations that have suddenly, there's, there's space to have them in these and, and, and invitations to have them in, 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 in ways that I think are, are, are pushing the dialogue beyond just kind of, you know, how to grow your own and, 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 and talking about this work as, as meaningful and worthy and, 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 and worthy of reverence, you know. And so I think that that my hope in the future is to be able to have more conversations that that explore, the, you know, the, the the spirituality of this work and the ancestral connection of this work, and and how this work can it, it, it isn't just a, about production, and it isn't just about. Um, you know, it's 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 not necessarily just about participating in kind of the systems of capitalism and industrialized food. You know, it's not to say that like anyway, no, no, I won't go down that road. <laughs> but 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 I think that um, my my hope is is that there'll be more opportunities to have conversations like these. To be honest, for me personally, you know, this this work is is more than just the physical act of growing food. It's a spiritual and a, a and a it's a more spiritual experience than 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 just that and and i and my hope is with this work to to be able to have more conversations where i have the opportunity to explain why you know food growing is so meaningful to me and to to rehabilitate it as a as a um as an act of of connection and and of and of of of, of a weaving together of ourselves, you know, to, to, to one another, to our family, to our, to our ancestors, you know, for, for me, it feels very much like as, as the, you know, the ancestor of, of the enslaved and the indentured, you know, it, it is a, uh, it's a yes. reclamation of sorts and, and, and to, you know, to grow the food of my family is, 
is um, a really powerful way that I can I can you know try and reach towards a, a history that I have mm. been disconnected from, purposefully yeah. disconnected from, and and so that's why for me you know and, and I know that the the journey and the experience will be very different for different people, but I do think that there is something deeply human and elemental about the process of growing food, and I and I think that that it has the potential to be nourishing and healing and and just and good for good for our our health in every definition mm. of that word of, of health and 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 so I my hope is that that through this kind of humble offering of a book that just describes how to grow food in in pots that that it will open up the potential to have these more depthful conversations about what yeah. this work means and 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 why it isn't something that is offered up to us as uh, as children as young adults as as something that is worthy and beautiful and necessary and I mean it's literally the the act that upholds us throughout every yeah. day of our lives we wouldn't survive without it how could it be that we don't know how it works how could it be that the majority of people don't know how this works and haven't ever done it for themselves or engaged with the process at least understanding that process like that's utterly heartbreaking to me now I realize that that's what yeah. I was living without and to have found my way back to it has been transformative it has it is my my absolute life's calling yeah. to be doing this and I believe that deeply and you know how different would my life have been if I'd have gone to school and been taught mm. this thing as as it is as it as a beautiful important and necessary act and something that is so deeply universal but is also so like wonderfully personal and you know and emotional in so many ways I mean I'm sure there's some people who must think I'm like bananas for, like, for thinking that to do something like this is so powerful but I do I feel such a strong like emotional pull when when I'm harvesting I I, I grew Mauritian cucumbers this yeah. summer for oh. my dad and and I and I did that you know I, I I sowed those seeds and it was probably the beginning of lockdown when I sowed those seeds for the first time and and you know, my I, I didn't think for a second that I wouldn't see him in all the time oh. that they were growing, and I wasn't going to be oh. able to show him. But but you know, I you know, I still I grew those cucumbers. They did so well, and they were beautiful, and I and I put them in a box and mailed them to him. <laughs> and but it was like that was an emotional process for me watching that plant grow and know that I was doing oh. it for my dad because oh. he'd asked me to, and they were his favorites from home, you know, and. It was, I watched that, like my partner used to say that I binge watch seedling. <laughs> and I did. I, <laughs> I love this. It's so funny. But it's like the first time. So I, but yes, I, I moved to the countryside just before, uh, before it was um, the October before last. So we in, we've moved to the countryside. We've been here for a couple of months before the pandemic and, and lockdown ensued. And so, you know, I've been trying to, find you know cr create a sense of home and and place where we are in this in this our first non-city you know home for uh, both of us for a decade oh, nice. um but it, you know it has um 
it, it, it's it's the first time that I've been able to actually spend all of my time with my seedlings because like I said before I, I, I lived in a flat and so when I was sowing seeds it was often it was often in different places and you know a work greenhouse here or a polytunnel here and and this was the first time I think I was with my seedlings every day and every morning you know I would go and I would check and I would look and see how they were doing and yeah, that's that's when my partner Sam was like, "Ah, you're binge watching your seedlings," and I was, I was absolutely, I was watching them unfurl and <laughs> unravel every day. But particularly, you know, when I was growing things I hadn't grown before, like the Mauritian cucumber, I was, you know, I was so desperate for it to to flourish, and I was just watching it, you know, ho- hoping and praying it would it would it would be, it would do well. So every tendril it put out, every new leaf, it was, mm. it was divine. I watched this thing, this, this plant that was so precious to me unfold. And, and you know, that I grew a few plants, but the, the first one that emerged, the first one that, that was, you know, the first one to go in the ground, that one had my entire attention and it had my heart. like you know it's completely invested in its in its thriving and its survival and yeah harvesting those fruit was was really special and I think that that's something that has shown me that especially for for those who who experience that kind of you know emotional and ancestral displacement yeah that it's that it's a way of of weaving ourselves back together again, I suppose. And that really pulls us full circle in this conversation, Claire, because you started off with this this idea of our identities being, you know, integral to mm. our our <clears throat> food relationships and our plant relationships, and that idea that we can reclaim identity as not just consumers on this planet uh, of, you know, some weird concept of, of what life could be or should be. Mm. And, but reclaim this part of being generative and um, you're watching that seed unfurl is a, is a remembering of what, what we are, what we are born to do and to Mm. be able to do. And, and I just, I think about your question, what would it have been like for me personally if I'd been taught this in school? And I ask that question, like, what would our cultures be like if that was a value instilled in our educational systems? And um, I just pray that we keep working back in that direction. I do too. It's yeah, that's really beautifully put because that's exactly what it is. This is our, this is what our common ancestors all would have known yeah. how to do, yeah. and it is. It's a shame that we don't have that embedded in our educational systems or, or or even in our home lives that that we don't grow up knowing how it all works. Yeah. And there is a there's a there's a deep remembering that is possible I think when you're when you engage in in sowing a seed and and nurturing a plant there's something deep inside us I think that calls out for that particular process because it's what we we rely upon to exist and and that's beautiful I mean how deeply like especially if you're feeling disconnected and like isn't aren't we aren't we in a place where we are all experiencing some sense of disconnect and feeling unmoored and 
what a beautiful way to find a sense of grounding and a sense of arrival and a sense of being present and here through the, the the nurturing of a of a a plant i think is a is a really beautiful thing and it is something that i feel we 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 should all have access to yes. in some way or another you know mm. and and it's true we I, I think we need to be looking at how we reconfigure our value systems outside of yes. this kind of success grind productivity you know like acquire this consistent cycling of acquiring and what does it look like to kind of pull oneself out of that and Mm -hmm. see oneself as a being that is a a regenerative it's not just you know consuming and and so yeah I mean it comes back to what you said right at the beginning of our conversation which is like looking at the kind of the systems of capitalism and understanding how you know how we participate in them and how we might you know pull ourselves back from that and look at other ways of spending our time and investing our our heart energy you know and I and I I think to to nurture a garden is one of those things you know I mean there's plenty of things that you can you can buy (laughs) when it comes to gardening but it's not and, and there's plenty of things that you kind of need but there's so much of it that can can that doesn't require us to kind of participate in those kind of extractive systems that kind of extractive behavior. Yeah. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. This has been such a fabulous, energetic conversation, and I feel invigorated and and re-energized, Claire. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. Claire Rattanon is a gardener, writer, educator, and binge-watcher of The Miracle of Seedlings. She is the author of How to Grow Your Dinner Without Leaving the House, published by Lawrence King Press. She has recently published a chapbook on horticultural appropriation and decolonizing the garden in association with the Garden Museum of London. She is also at work on her second book. Join us again next week when we have the first of a two-part series celebrating the publication of Under Western Skies, a new book conceived and photographed by Caitlin Atkinson, written by me, and published by Timber Press on May 11, 2021. Listen in next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, and the podcast and its outreach is listener-supported over at cultivatingplace.com, where every week you will find the show notes for each week's program, like this week's on Claire Rattanon, including many great photographs and other resources on these topics. And hey, while you're there, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Our producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.